0: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug LaMaurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Wednesday Pod back at it. Thanks to you guys for joining us. We do the Tuesday Pod for Apple Podcasts. Shahan, I like that draft. We did a draft for the Tuesday Pod. Apple Podcast subscribers get its 2 dollars for a month on Apple. You go and do whatever you sign up on Apple, just like you get a Taylor Swift song. And we do four podcasts. We do one every Tuesday. You get all those for Apple Podcast subscribers. Shahan, we drafted men's basketball coaches, women's basketball coaches, and college football coaches all together. And I'm still basking in the afterglow of that, Shahan. Wasn't that a fun exercise?
1: It was a lot of fun. Uh, No, I mean it's so difficult, right, to compare people across sports. But – what kind of made it fun is that you know you felt like maybe in certain sports you had a little more depth, in certain sports you had a little more dominance, and so it made it a great draft. Uh, I, I think that our strategies were interesting, and and I think it was actually really fun that we came up with a lot of the same conclusions. Yeah, I think we almost came up with
0: like a consensus top twenty of the best coaches in those three sports. I'm not sure you're going to find a lot of podcasts in the nation right now that are making Dabo Sweeney and Mark Few comparisons. So we're inviting you to join. Sign up for Apple Podcast, the Apple Podcast subscription for the College Football Survivor Show. So you can catch that one. This one free, of course. 10 Spring Football Quarterback Battles. Now, Shahan, we're not saying they're the 10 best, but they are, they are 10 that have caught our eyes. You picked five. I picked five. We actually might have a little crossover. So, you know, he's prepared a couple, he's prepared a couple extra because we're professional podcasters, but I'll let you start. And I will say, there was no shortage, right? This is not like, oh, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I, we're going to leave out some good battles because, yes, Bryce Young is at Alabama and C.J. Stroud is at Ohio State. But there are some big-time programs with some pretty big-time battles. So I'm, I'm eager to see where we go here. Who's the first team you want to start with?
1: Yeah, I want to start with Texas A&M. I knew it! We went a whole week without talking
0: about Texas A&M, and we didn't get two and a (laughs) half minutes into this podcast. I didn't even... I didn't spend five seconds on Texas A&M, because I knew you were going to do
1: them. Because they deserve to be done, by the way. So, thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think that they make a lot of sense, because heading into this battle, they've got three contenders for the position. Haynes King, Connor Wegman, and Max Johnson. And... I, I think that you look at what happened last season and quarterback was just this gaping hole on the roster, which with Jimbo Fisher teams, that's always what you talk about. You talk about quarterbacks, uh, but you know, Zach Calzada obviously really struggled last year and we heard all year, Oh, well, you know, Haynes King went out. So they were without their starting quarterback, but we never saw Haynes King be good either. Right. I mean, he threw a bunch of interceptions in his only real performance. So we don't really know if Haynes King would have been a whole lot better. Well, now you go into this upcoming offseason, and I think you've got a, a high floor for the first time because you've got Max Johnson coming in from LSU, and LSU's offense wasn't amazing, but Max Johnson is just a really good decision maker. Uh, he completed 60% of his passes, 27 touchdowns, six interceptions, averaged 7.5 yards per pass attempt. I think that he's somebody who could easily slot in and just, again, give them a high floor, you know? Give them an opportunity to to at least have above-average SEC quarterback play, which obviously they did not have last year. They had pretty terrible quarterback play but you do have two other really intriguing options Haynes King uh, a kid from Longview Texas who was supposed to be the starter last year before suffering an ankle injury um, led his high school team to their first state championship in 80 years this is just color obviously I'm a Texas guy uh, and and also the the proverbial son of, of one of the great high school coaches in the state John King and so I think that he's certainly gonna have a chance to win the job but you know, Connor Wegman is definitely the highest uh, kind of rated of the bunch. He's a five-star quarterback. He's the number two quarterback uh, in the recruiting class coming in. So I do think that he's going to be a factor in this battle coming in from, uh, from Bridgeland. And so I, I think that Johnson probably emerges with it, but, in a lot of ways, if Texas A&M is going to do these things that we've been saying that they should be doing with the amount of talent they've got on the roster, it's going to come down to the quarterback position, which I think since Kellen Mond has been a pretty disappointing position. And so whoever wins this battle, I, th- I think, is going to have a lot of pressure to perform because the other two guys are going to be breathing down their neck all year. So I think this is arguably the most important
0: quarterback battle of the spring. When you think about teams that are right at the top of college football playoff contention, and aren't a hundred percent sure who their quarterback is going to be, you know, I think when we do lists like this, this is a playoff podcast. We always lean toward the playoff. You know, I have some teams that, you know, I don't know that the quarterback battle is going to have a huge effect on the playoff right now. I think maybe in a year. It will, but I still think it's interesting. But this is front and center because this is where we are with Texas A&M. As you said last year, as you, I mean, they they have, they've had this run where they kind of had Kellen Mondo, who was a guy that they believed in at quarterback, but the kind of the rest of the team hadn't quite caught up. And then the team caught up, and the quarterback wasn't really set. And the result is Texas A&M has been there for the past two years in various ways. Two years ago, they. They would argue they should have made the playoff. And last year they beat Bama, but couldn't put the other wins together. They're there. They're there. If they get the right guy here, a lot of people are going to be picking them to make the playoff before when the season starts in the fall, right? But what happens in April is going to have a long way toward affecting that perception.
1: Yeah, no question. And I mean, I just look at last season, right? And to finish eight and four with probably seven guys who are going to be picked in the first three rounds of the NFL draft that that's crazy. I mean, come on, what what are we doing here? If that's what you're doing with that amount of talent. And I have to ask, you know, if, if Kellen Mond is the quarterback on that team last year, what's their record? It, you know, I mean, I think that if you, if you put that, they beat Bama, which, you know, I, I think that they would, I mean, Z- Kellen Mond's better than Zach Calzada. Obviously that was such a weird game in a lot of ways, but They don't lose games like 26-23 to Mississippi State. That does not happen if Kellen Mond is the quarterback at Texas A&M. I think they at least win 10 games. I think they have a chance to win 11. And if they do take care of business generally outside of that Alabama game, they would have been the representative from the West in the SEC championship game. That's all it would have taken. It would have taken just taking care of business. I mean, that LSU game at the end of the year is that does not happen if Kellen Mond is the starting quarterback at Texas A&M. So now you have an opportunity. Again, I, I'm not saying that in the context of the system or anything like that, that Max Johnson has a chance to be as good as Kellen Mond was as a senior right away. But you're going to get a lot closer to that. And so, yeah, I mean, if they get great quarterback play, I, I mean, you never want to compare it to uh, to Jameis Winston because he was a Heisman winner. But, you know, if you do get that special kind of quarterback play, That's how Jimbo Fisher has won before. And ultimately, at some point in his Texas A&M tenure, he needs to have that.
0: And we saw on the Alabama win, they made a lot of plays they needed to make to win that game. But the quarterback made some plays to help them win, right? Zach Calzada, who was inconsistent and we doubted at times last year, looked like a different person for moments in that game. And they got over the top. So if they settle that, that's going to be a big deal. The super ambitious thing that we could have talked about ahead of time, this is would have been really difficult to do. But if we tried to have all 10 of our quarterback battles be connected in some way, that it's like you start with a battle, then I have to pick a battle that is somehow connected to your battle because there are so many transfers, and a lot of the battles that we're talking about involve a homegrown guy and a transfer guy. So I'm going to attempt to start that at least. I think that I, I know where you're going next. There's two, play, there's two ways you could go here. You could go to Auburn because Zach Calzada, who left Texas AM, is in the battle at Auburn. Or you could go to the school that Max Johnson left at LSU, which now has its own battle, and that's what I'll do. I'll go to LSU where Miles Brennan, the starter in 2020 before he got hurt, he broke his arm before the 2021 season, so he's been out for like a year and a half, but he won a starting job at LSU. And then Jaden Daniels, like just now very pretty recently decided I'm going to leave Arizona State as a three-year starter and I'm going to go to LSU now the thing about that that is interesting is they probably have the quarterback of the future on the roster and it's neither of those guys it's Walker Howard who's the number 41 overall recruit in the country for the 2022 class but They don't want him. They don't need him. That's not what Brian Kelly has to have happen in year one. So it's probably a Miles Brennan, Jaden Daniels battle. And we see this sometimes, Shahan. Jaden Daniels, the 2020 year was weird for him. Year two at Arizona State because they played so few games in the Pac-12 that year. 2021, he threw 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. 2019, his first year as a starter, he threw 17 touchdowns and two interceptions. It feels like Mike Denbrock, who's the offensive coordinator coming from Cincinnati, maybe. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because Desmond Ritter could move around a little bit, but he might want a guy who could move around a little bit. That's Jaden Daniels. Miles Brennan's more of a pocket passer. I guess Jaden Daniels is going to go in and win this thing. And if you're Brian Kelly and you say, hey, you know what? We have a three-year starter from a Power 5 program. Come in, give us a shot in the arm, stir it up a little bit while we develop this five-year, this five-star recruit behind you. That sounds like a pretty good plan. But Miles Brennan has won a quarterback battle at LSU, and he's still there. He's a sixth-year guy. He's one of the COVID guys with the extra year who decided to stick around. So that is a battle. You throw in Garrett Nussmeyer maybe as a redshirt freshman who'd be a third guy in there. I think everybody assumed it's going to be Jaden Daniels, but, you know, especially when you're starting from scratch that, you know, Miles Brennan didn't win a, a quarterback battle for Brian Kelly, but they have some guys there that I don't think they're going to hand it to Jaden Daniels, right?
1: Yeah, no question about it. And I think, uh, you know, Jaden Daniels has showed a lot of upside, especially as a runner. I mean, he, he rushed for a 710 yards last year. But, you know, I think that one of the questions with Jaden Daniels as he heads into an SEC camp is going to be, what's the real Jaden Daniels? Because over the first two years of his career, he threw 22 touchdowns, three interceptions. Last year, 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Now, Arizona State was a freaking mess last year with all the NCAA stuff roster-wise. I mean, there's a reason that he ended up leaving. It's just a mess over there right now. And so it's hard to know how much to blame him for 10 interceptions, how much to blame other people. But I mean, he's not coming off the best season of his career, that's for sure. And so I do think that you look at these other guys and Miles Burnett has been there for a long time. But at the same time, you're kind of just like, well, if you've got somebody who's been there for a long time and you're looking for like legitimate upgrades... That's not my favorite indicator in your confidence in a sixth-year quarterback. Uh, and I do think that Garrett Nussmeyer will very much be in the conversation. You mentioned Walker Howard is kind of that guy of the future. I mean, Garrett Nussmeyer was also a top 100 recruit. Uh He had a lot of excitement coming in last year. He got some snaps under his belt. So I do think he definitely will factor into the conversation. But, I mean... It, it's interesting, right? Because like I mentioned with Max Johnson, Max Johnson was that floor for LSU. He, you know, he was a solid player, maybe not spectacular, maybe not making crazy plays, but uh, but he gave them an air of consistency on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know that they have that guy uh, coming into 2022. All right. Two down. Shahan, who's the third team you want to talk about? Yeah, well, if we're going to keep this, uh, this trend of connecting them, I think that I know the perfect way to do it. And that's following, uh, my family back home to, uh, Notre Dame. And they have a quarterback battle between Drew Pine and Tyler Buchner. Uh, of course they lose Jack Pine, who was a senior starter for them, played really well. But they're excited about these two guys. They, they had both these guys, Tyler Buchner and Drew Pine enter games at different points last season. Each had some success. Each showed some downside, but I, I think that both of them clearly have a lot of arm talent. And I think that, uh, that with Marcus Freeman coming in, you know, they're lucky. They're going to get to keep some of that same offensive coaching staff uh, with Tommy Reese staying on board. But it is going to be, I, I think, a little bit of a different philosophy, a little bit of a different, uh, you know, just program-wise, and not necessarily offense-wise. Uh, Buchner, 298 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Pine, 224 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Both of them were kind of inserted at different points as change of pace type guys. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what these guys are when they're full time quarterbacks. Buchner, number 71
0: overall recruit in the class of 2021. Pine, the number 225 overall recruit in the class of 2020. On the roster, Pine, 5'11 and a half, 200. Buchner, 6'1", 215. It feels like the people around there, the reporters around there, think it's going to be Buchner. He's more athletic, he's a runner, and he's got to get a little more consistent in the pocket. Pine And Buchner played in 10 last year, played in 10 games. Pine played in two, but the two he played in were Wisconsin and Cincinnati, which were like big games, and it was like they needed him, and he did give them a shot in the arm at certain times. Tommy Reese, as you said, is so important to this. That was so important. He's such a high – I think a well-respected offensive mind that they were able to keep him to sort of run this battle. I was around in 2015 at Ohio State. When they had JT Barrett coming off injury from the 2014 season, and Cardale Jones had then stepped in and led Ohio State through the playoff into the national championship. And they were two national championship quarterbacks, one from the regular season, one from the postseason. They were both back. But the quarterback coach was not back that year. And I thought that was a huge issue for Ohio State. So when you find that, that was a little bit different because it was same staff just missing Tom Herman. Like at LSU, everybody's new, right? That Tommy Reese is here to oversee this. He knows what's up. He knows both of those guys. I think gives you confidence that Notre Dame will work that out. And by the way, they open at Ohio State, so they don't get a preseason game. To keep figuring it out, they've got to decide this. And I think it'll be Buchner, but I also wouldn't be surprised, given how we saw them put people in behind Jack Cohn last year for shot-in-the-arm moments. I wouldn't be surprised if the guy who finishes second is the shot-in-the-arm quarterback for this team.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that they they seem to have a lot of trust in their quarterbacks, and their quarterbacks seem to have a lot of trust in them because that is pretty unusual, right? Especially, I mean, with Jack Cohn, like you mentioned, they did pull him at times uh, just for a change of pace. And I think that both these guys probably have more upside than Jack Cohn as passers, but certainly it's about getting to that point, getting to that level. Uh, from what we saw from Buchner, like you said, I mean, he, he's got a cannon for an arm. He, he moves around really, really well, but he did look more raw in his moments. You know, he played only one extended game against Toledo, kind of was a little bit inconsistent there. And so I think that, uh, it's going to be whether Tyler Buchner can kind of get up to speed, can kind of be ready so that when you're opening your your starting career, like you mentioned, in the horseshoe, that you feel like uh like he's maybe up for the challenge. After that, it settles down a lot. You go Marshall, Cal at UNC. At BYU it's gonna be a pretty tough game, but like you have some time after that Ohio State game to maybe lick your wounds a little bit. But uh yeah, it's it's gonna be a big uh, a big challenge for either of these guys, whichever one ends up starting on the road at Ohio State. This is a little bit more of
0: a tenuous connection, but I'll try to draw a little bit of a line as oh, we go. But to before our I next.
1: remembered the Brian Kelly one, I was like, "Man, uh, where are these kids from? Like, where are the?" I, uh, so, trust me, I, I think that we'll be okay on that front. The
0: I, I always want to do like with the with the transfer portal and how it works now, like a Kevin Bacon kind of quarterback <laughs> thing in college football. Like, can you connect every quarterback in college football to Tyler Buchner? Like to say, like, oh, well, this guy, this, and this guy transferred here, and this guy, this, and boom, 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 four connections, uh, off-season project. I'm going to go with, and and I like things like this, and you know me, there's a lot of guys from the 2021 recruiting class who are in the mix for some of these jobs second-year guys at their schools. And so Tyler Buchner, according to 247 Sports, he was the number 11 overall quarterback in the class of 2021, the number 71 overall player. I'm going to go to the number 9 overall quarterback, quarterback and the number 56 overall player in that class and call that a ten- uh, connection. And I'm going to go to North Carolina and Drake May, who is a hugely big time quarterback they are replacing sam howell at north carolina who is expected to be a first round nfl draft pick drake may was originally committed to alabama he's a charlotte kid who then decommitted and went to north carolina he is listed at 65 216 on their roster he is competing with Jacoby chriswell who's a junior who's listed at six foot 232 they grow their quarterbacks big at North Carolina. They also have a guy on their roster, Jefferson Boaz, who's six, six and a half, 250. So if, like, some of these guys don't work out as quarterbacks at North Carolina, they can just move them to offensive line and they'll be fine. But a lot of people are fired up about Drake May. They have started spring practice. So Mac Brown has been asked about them. He said, like, all the young guys look good. But Mac Brown also said, you know, in my career, I've played two quarterbacks. He referenced some of the years at Texas where he did that. I think Chris Sims and Major Applewhite came up during the news conference. You know, I don't love it. I don't love that. I don't love that kind of discussion, but that's a way to keep everybody on the hook through the competition. Mac Brown also kind of said they, they, they probably don't think there will be a winner of this competition until preseason practice in August. They're not going to come out of spring and announce the starting quarterback, but he said he'd like to see some separation. So I think if there's gonna be separation, it's probably more likely going to come from the guy who was a borderline five star recruit who's six five and was originally committed to Alabama. But Colby Chriswell was the backup last year, and you don't want to take anything for granted. They they have a number one receiver in Josh Down at North Carolina that's going to help either of those guys. And you know they were sort of a team that was in the playoff mix with Sam Howell last year before the season, that didn't really work out that way. But they have a lot of talent, Shahan, and I, they're not quite in the Texas A&M category of figure out the quarterback and you're fine. But I do think this is one of those situations where we maybe overestimated them last year just because of Sam Howell, but they actually sort of had lost some talent. They lost a bunch of talent in the backfield and that kind of thing. Now they have quarterback uncertainty, but they kind of maybe have a better breadth of talent. So if they do get quarterback figured out, I think maybe they could be a sleeper in the ACC, especially if it's 6'5 Drake May.
1: Well, I got to ask: Do you know why Drake May is such a giant? Do you know? Uh, do you know who his brother is? His brother is—is uh, is it Luke May? Yeah, Luke May, the former North Carolina national champion. So, so there's some connections there. No wonder he ended up uh, at North Carolina. But I agree. I, I think that there's some untapped potential with this. The thing that I will say about these two players, right, because I do expect that it'll come down to Drake May versus Jacoby Criswell. You know, Chriswell showed a lot as a runner, right? 68 yards and a touchdown on only seven carries, uh, 10 yards per attempt, basically. So I do think that these guys are different enough that you could make a case to use them situationally. But at the same time, I, I mean, I expect Drake May to come away with this job. He didn't throw a lot of passes. He only threw 10 passes last season as a true freshman. Obviously, Sam Howell took the lion's share of those passes because he was Sam Howell. But, you know, 7 of 10, 89 yards and a touchdown for Drake May in his limited attempts. Um, you know, it, most of them came against Wofford. So I don't really know whether that means a whole lot. Take that, Wofford. <laughs> uh, go, Terriers. Um, but, uh, but you know, I think that I think that may has a chance to step in. You, you know, North Carolina's offense is very quarterback friendly, right? Under Phil Longo, um, he's had a long career in this business. I, I think that whoever comes is going to have an opportunity to fit right away. Is going to have an opportunity to have some success right away. Josh Downs, like you mentioned, is one of the nation's better receivers. He's going to make their job a lot easier. And so I think that, I I think that things are poised for, for Drake May to be able to come in and just rely on that arm talent, right? Because that's what this offense is built around. I mean, yes, it's nice to be able to run and they actually, they ran Sam Howell a whole lot last year for whatever reason. But, you know, I, I think at its core, this is a pass based offense and I think that Drake May is the more consistent passer of the bunch. And I agree. I mean, I, look at this team a little bit like I looked at Oregon last year where we felt like they just kept getting pieces on the defensive side of the ball and at some point it was finally going to turn into results but you know I think that maybe sometimes when you have a quarterback as explosive as Sam Howell on one side of the ball it makes things a lot harder for your defense I think that in some ways They could primarily ask Drake May to be not a game manager, but but kind of be a little bit more limited from that perspective to try and help the defense out in some way. So I I think that whoever comes in, it's going to be about making good decisions. It's going to be about being accurate. It's going to be about being consistent. Uh, and, And I think that Drake May has a chance to be that player. And they like to take shots with Sam Howell
0: last year. I was watching one video. It's like all the you know the schools have these limitations. You can't shoot more than two and a half minutes of video from practice. So one of the North Carolina <laughs> sites, to their credit, was like, "We have two and a half minutes. We took our our iPhone or our camera and we put it on Drake May for two and a half minutes, and here it is." And I watched. <laughs> so you know, it's two and a half minutes from spring practice, but he's giant he's giant. And then it's like, Oh, what's the final throw? It's like, Oh, is it a 55 yard dime down the sideline over a guy's shoulder? Yes, it is. So (laughs) it's, it's one of those things where listen, like young, good defense, good quarterbacks, coach, keep it together and then drop a 50 yard dime. Once a game that could work, they could ease him in, but also take advantage of what he can do. I think They have a chance to be – this happens a lot, I think, at at a program exactly like North Carolina. You give them a couple expectations because of Sam Howell and they don't live up to it. Then you pull the expectations back because Sam Howell's gone and all of a sudden, here's North Carolina. As we've said a bunch of times on this podcast, run through the quarterbacks in the ACC. Half the teams have legit all-ACC quality quarterbacks – returning as starters. There are a lot of ACC teams that don't have quarterback battles. So the ACC is going to be tough, but if Drake may can make a few plays, North Carolina's depth of talent, I think could rise up. And I'm very interested to watch that. And, and I am very curious about, I went a lot to these 2021 quarterbacks because a year ago we were looking at the 2020 quarterbacks and we we're looking at Bryce young and CJ Stroud and DJ young lay these second year guys, right? Sometimes we get a little overexcited Shahan, about first year guys And as much as young quarterbacks play, a lot of times that's still unrealistic. And there's a couple of guys I think that's going to apply to this year. But second-year guys, it's go time. Like, why did you recruit a five-star quarterback if you're not going to give him a chance to play in year two? Not that it's guaranteed, but it's spring. Roll these second-year players out and give them a chance to compete for the starting quarterback job. And there's a couple more guys that applies, too. We'll get to some of them after this on the College Football Survivor Show. In case you missed the last College Football Survivor Show. Four people still on the board who are undoubtedly more established than Ryan Day. This might be high, but this was my next football person, and I'll take Ryan Day 11. Ohio State head coach Ryan Day.
1: You know, I, I really am curious what Ryan Day is in a vacuum. From an on-field coaching perspective, I mean, he's one of the best at the game, right? I mean, I don't question to the slightest bit his his ability to coach football. But, you know, I mean, Ohio State is just such a program it's hard for me to contextualize that and, and we had issues with this with a uh, you know not just the draft that we did a couple of weeks ago but the one that we did before the season the top tier coaches you yeah. know i don't know how to contextualize them very well subscribe now on apple podcast for exclusive college survivor show bonus episodes four teams in
0: doug and shahan make sure you're reading shahan at com. who's your fifth team sean
1: yeah, well, to make this connection, I'm just gonna jump in my car from, uh, from Chapel Hill, North Carolina and drive right down I-85 to Little Old Clemson. And last year, Clemson had arguably the worst quarterback play in the entire ACC, which is just, feels impossible. I, I don't know how that's physically possible. DJ Uyongalele, you know, was one of the top quarterbacks in the country, if not the top one coming out in that uh, recruiting class. Uh, he only completes 55.6% of his passes, six yards per pass attempt, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions, just horrific, horrific numbers, uh, for any quarterback, much less one that, uh, that's starting at Clemson and, and cu- came in with his pedigree. And so now coming in, uh, you've got the number one quarterback in the class of 2022 from, uh, from Austin Westlake. Cade Klubnick, Uh, you know, I think that he's going to have a chance to compete for the job right away. He's one of those guys who's just like a gamer. You know, he just he just feels ga- the game really well. I think that uh, you know he has an opportunity to come in and and he's not going to have maybe some of the physical upside I think that DJ has, but I think he might be more refined as a player right away. And especially when you're coming in from uh, from a, a program like Westlake, which is one of the best uh, high school programs in the state of Texas, you're ready in a way that I think. Sometimes other players are not, you know, you're not going to be raw. You're not going to be going through the motions. I think that you understand how to play the position at a high level. So I think that this DJ versus Cade battle has a chance to be a, a legitimate battle uh for, for the starting job. And the other thing too, is that I think that it's really going to help DJ to get pushed because last year, it, you know, their backup quarterback, uh, I'm going to mess up his name. Tayson Famachan, I think is his name. Uh, he like had this freak situation where he like tore his ACL in spring camp and then was back like four months later for fall practice, but like. You're not really competing in that kind of case when this guy's been out for all of camp, basically. And so I think that it can help sometimes to have someone breathing over your shoulder. And the guy who I didn't mention, by the way, who's coming back in is Hunter Johnson, a former five star quarterback who started his career at Clemson, uh, went to, uh, Northwestern, went to, and then went somewhere else, I think, and then now is back at Clemson. He hasn't had a whole lot of success in his college career, but I think that uh, he's going to be somebody who has an understanding of the position. And I really think that they brought him back in a lot of ways to be a coach on the field, to be somebody to mentor both DJ and Cade and, and kind of get them ready for prime time. So I, I'm curious to see how they handle this battle, if it's truly open, if it's something where, you know, if Cade just comes in and really impresses that maybe they open the battle. But regardless, I think that we can all say that Clemson needs to have be better at that position. And I think they've got some tools to do that. And Dabo will do it.
0: Yeah. Like Dabo, Trevor Lawrence didn't win the job at the start of the season in 2018, but he won it pretty early in 2018. It would be fascinating with all the hype that was around DJ Uyunglele if he gets Caleb Williams this year. But I think you have to be on alert for it because there's a couple other battles. I'll I'm I'll be curious to see if you bring them up. I want to talk to him like a, a little about him a little bit at least. Where I doubt, I have doubts about whether the head coach will do it with a super young guy. I don't have a lot of doubts about Dabo pulling the trigger if he thinks that's their best chance to win. Right? That because, Ken Clubnick I mean, I, it's hard to compare anybody to Trevor Lawrence, but he's the number one quarterback in the country, and if he's the guy. He's the guy Clemson can't muck around. They had their muck around season last year and it was got mucked up in part because of DJ, not only because of DJ, Uyunglele, but he had all like the leash in the world last year. Right. Because they sort of didn't have another option. Like it, part of me is like, okay, true freshman is going to unseat a five-star guy who was the number, but Another part of me is like, no, I, I think it's real because of, of how Dabo – and Saban's the same way. The guys at the top, they have faith, I think, in themselves and in their assistant coaches. Like They're not afraid to play a young guy because we think, we'll coach him up and we have good players running. we'll be okay. If he's the guy, he's the guy. Does that factor into your thinking here?
1: Well, I think more than anything else, I mentioned it a little bit with Notre Dame, but it's having trust uh, in your players and it's your players having trust in you. Because this doesn't work if you don't have that trust. So, cause for example, if DJ feels like the coaching staff doesn't have his back is out to get him, whatever, like you can't make that kind of switch because then you can't switch back. You have to be able to switch back as well. If things don't work out because you don't know what's going to happen when you put a true freshman quarterback into the game. So I think that Dubbus, when he has been very clear with his players, I think he communicates very well. I think his coaching staff communicates very well. I am a little curious to see how that kind of changes now. Uh, Obviously, you've got some new coaching staff coming in, but it is the quarterback coach who they did ultimately promote. So it is somebody who I do think is going to, per se, have their back. Um, I am actually also curious, you know, independent. This is another conversation, but I am curious – having the play caller seeing the field from the quarterback position instead of running back like uh, Tony Elliott kind of has for the past couple of years. How does that change the way that they run their offense and how does it change the way that uh, that their offense is maybe a little bit more quarterback friendly? I'm, I'm curious if that does play a role. But regardless, I, I mean – DJ was bad enough last year that you have to ask the question at least, and that's not to say that he can't be better. Because I certainly think that he can be, and I think he's going to be, you know, a, a top half ACC quarterback if he does start this year. But if Kate Klubnick is ready, if if all of this training, if learning from Todd Dodge at Westlake, if if uh you know winning Elite Eleven, all this sort of stuff, if this means that he's ready, then I, I do think that Clemson staff is willing to do it. All right, here's my connection for this one,
0: and. I'm going to talk about a team that Clemson played last year, and they played them in week one last year. And I want to talk about Georgia because how insane it is to be like, oh, the starting quarterback of the national champion is back. But is he the starting quarterback? So I'm not going to do that to Stetson Bennett, but they are stacked behind Stetson Bennett. They were also stacked last year behind Stetson Bennett and in front of Stetson Bennett, and it didn't matter. And Stetson Bennett kept the job and won a national title for Georgia. So I don't really think that this is a starting quarterback battle. He is back as in year six, but, I mean, he's Kirby's guy, right? I think we've everybody acknowledges that. So he's not going to lose the job right now, and he shouldn't. I, I'm not going to do that to him. But I, it is very important how these guys stack up behind Stetson Bennett because the backup quarterback battle in 2022 was the beginning of the starting quarterback battle in 2023. And they're the defending national champs. Just what if Stetson has a bad week three, right? I, I, it's not fair to do that to him. But you look at Carson Beck, who was the number 250 overall recruit in the class of 2020. You look at back uh, Brock Vandergriff, who was the number seventeen overall player in the class of twenty twenty one, and you look at Gunnar Stockton, who was the number one twenty four overall player in the class of twenty twenty two. They've got their guys stacked. That's probably in order of most pro style to most mobile. Beck's more pro style. Vandergriff's a little more in between, and Gunnar Stockton, I think, is the guy they liked Stetson Bennett's ability to move. Gunnar Stockton is the guy that that all the people covering Georgia say is most like Stetson Bennett. So it's very interesting to watch him as a true freshman. How how much run does he get sort of in this backup quarterback battle? Is there a style that Georgia wants to employ at quarterback? So it's worth watching. And, you know, I'm not saying watch the quarterback battle at Alabama with Bryce Young. I'm not saying watch the quarterback battle at Ohio State with C.J. Stroud. So I guess I shouldn't say it at Georgia either, but I can't help it. Like, I can't help it. Is it a 1,000% impossible that the reigning national champs, with their six-year returning car- starting quarterback, would put in a different guy at some point in 2022? Not in April, but is that impossible? Is this just a backup quarterback battle in Doug
1: Keep your mouth shut about anything else. (laughs) So here's what I'll say is that they had JT Daniels last year, who I think that most of us consider to be somebody with a lot more upside as a passer. Heading into this upcoming year, I mean, if Brock Vandergriff doesn't factor into the rotation at all, the number 17 player, a five-star quarterback in the class of 2021, a true like crown jewel in their quarterback class. If he doesn't factor in at all, then I have some questions. I have some questions about what George is trying to do here because yes, George won the national championship. Stetson Bennett did everything that was asked of him. And I he deserves that. He should get a statue. Honestly, I I think it probably would have been for the best He moved on after it so that that could just be the end of his career and he could be a legend. But if Brock Vanderberg Griff doesn't factor in, then I, I have to like question what they're seeing. I have to question what they're trying to accomplish. I, I have to question, I mean, they, then they need to address it that that Brock isn't that good. Like, because if, if this five star quarterback is coming in and not factoring into the rotation at all, especially if, I mean, you know, all love and respect to Gunnar Stockton. If you're making Gunnar Stockton a legit competitor for the backup quarterback job because he's most like Stetson Bennett. I, what does that mean? I, I don't know <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. And and the other part of that too is that it tells me that they aren't especially serious about still trying to modernize their offense, right? I think that in a lot of ways last year, we thought they were modernizing their offense. They brought in obviously uh, Todd Monken who did add a lot of dimensions to their game, especially when JT Daniels was in the game. But if Brock Vandergrift does not factor into this rotation at all, it tells me that they want to continue to be what they were under Stetson Bennett last year and what they were under, you know, Jake Fromm and all of that before that they don't want to be a dynamic offense that they don't want to grow up and they feel like let's double down on sort of this old school philosophy that, you know, did win us a national championship but i i certainly don't think produced the best possible team at Georgia
0: they're the same program but they are a different team because it's very possible that Stetson Bennett was the right quarterback when your defense has Nicobe Dean and Darion Kendrick and Quay Walker and Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Shanning Tindall and all these guys who are gone. Not that their defense isn't going to be good, but it's not going to be historically good, probably. So you're maybe going to have to ask a little more of your offense and then do you have to ask a little more of your quarterback? Again, we're talking about this 2021 recruiting class, these second-year guys We said, according to 247 Sports Composite, Drake May was the number nine quarterback. Tyler Buchner was the number 11 quarterback. Brock Vandegrift, the guy you're talking about, number four quarterback in the class of 2021. So other dudes in his zone are getting a shot. He happens to be behind the guy who just was the quarterback for the national championship team. But. I don't know that that's the end of the discussion. And it clearly sounds like you don't think it's the end of the discussion. And it's possible that what Georgia need, needs as a team from its quarterback will
1: have changed. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing that I feel like you have to mention too is that, you know, George Pickens is gone. Jermaine Burton was kind of like, I hate this offense, I'm gone. <laughs> and so even the quarterback who comes in is probably gonna have a little less help in some ways. Now you still have Brock Bowers who's, one of the at worst the nation's second best tight end and might be first but it's still a lot to ask I think for a quarterback to come in and potentially have to carry this team for stretches I mean we saw in that SEC championship game when Stetson Bennett had to carry this team in some ways because Alabama was just totally blitzing them downfield he struggled in that role he threw some interceptions uh you know he threw for a lot of yards but he struggled, and and that offense struggled. I think that you need to have that dimension of being able to throw downfield with some level of consistency if you're going to want to try and go back-to-back back with a defense that isn't going to be statistically the greatest defense in the history of college football.
0: All right, that was team six in our quarterback discussion. Shahan, team seven to you.
1: Well, I, I feel like I'm uh, painted into a corner here where I have to follow Dan Landing across the pond to, to the University of Oregon. But you know what? Let's let's do it. That's what I'll go ahead and do. So at Oregon, uh, Bo Nix transfers in the former starting quarterback at Auburn. And this is such an interesting one because last year you had Anthony Brown at, uh, at Oregon. And I think that... I think that Bo Nix has a chance to be a supercharged Anthony Brown, but he's going to be competing with another one of these guys from the 2021 class, Ty Thompson, who is the number seven quarterback in that class, number 40 player overall. Uh, You know, I I think that it's going to be interesting because both of them are kind of guys who have the ability to run the ball. And uh, Bo Nix came in with offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, who, who came in from the, from Florida state university, you know, it, I think that offensively last year, Oregon showed some upside, but clearly quarterback did hold them back in a lot of ways. And so yes. I'm, I'm curious now with a guy who has a lot of experience coming in, fighting as somebody who has a lot of physical gifts, who did struggle when he did play games, you know, he only threw 15 passes, but only 46% completed. You know, I'm curious to see, you know, with this new sort of era at Oregon, what are they going to look for in a starting quarterback? What are they going to do in their offensive system? And uh, and what are they going to value? Are they going to value the experience or are they going to value maybe some of the physical upside?
0: No, I do think that the Anthony Brown experience and Ty Thompson, you thought, might have been in the mix last year. Then they went with the veteran, which is fine. But. The Anthony Brown experience, he made some plays against Ohio State when they beat Ohio State, and I was kind of more in on Anthony Brown having watched that game with my own eyeballs. I was a little more in on Anthony Brown during the course of the season, I think, maybe than some people were because I thought, this, I, the guy can do some stuff. But I think consistently over time, right, it, it wasn't as consistent as it needed to be for Oregon to hold on as a college football playoff contender but Mario Cristobal left some great recruits there and if they get this figured out again I I think again they're maybe not quite Texas A&M but Dan Landon could have a pretty darn good first year if they get quarterback figured out and we'll go back again to this class of 2021 Ty Thompson number seven number seven overall quarterback in the class of uh, 2021. So second year guys. Now Bo Nix is pretty darn established, right? And they wouldn't if they were like, oh no, no, it's Ty Thompson. It's for sure Ty Thompson. But I also do think I I'll be curious. Will Dan Lanning be willing to go with a young guy? Because Dan Lanning's not going anywhere. Dan Lanning can afford to have it a bumpy year, but Ty Thompson might be Dan Lanning's future. So, but you told Bo Nix, hey man, get in the car. It's like a 2,500 mile drive. It's lovely. You get to go through, uh, I don't know, I don't know what's on the way from Auburn, Alabama to uh, Eugene, Oregon, but I'm sure there's some lovely country.
1: You might go through Colorado, depends on the route that you take, I'd imagine.
0: You ever had a Runza? You ever had a Runza in Nebraska? I, I
1: have not, I have not.
0: Oh, it's the best. I i have made, I have at times been just near Nebraska and have ventured into <laughs> Nebraska to get a Runza. It's like a
1: fast food Steak sandwich in a roll. Okay, steak sandwich. I, I was gonna ask, what what is a runza? Because I remember them like I know that they're like a thing in Nebraska, but I've no idea what it is. It's mostly meat and cabbage, but rather than it being like an open roll,
0: it's kind of a closed roll. So it's almost like uh, it's a meat pocket. And and I this is one of my things. It always uh, it warms my heart because Shahan, aren't we all connected in this great big world of ours? But every culture has meat in dough. They just call it something different. It's like sometimes it's an empanada. Sometimes it's a burrito. Sometimes it's a runza. So in Nebraska, in the culture of Nebraska, that's how they do it. But whatever your culture is, Shahan, I'm very open to this. All people of the world, I'll eat your meat in your dough. That's my pledge. Wherever you're from, however it's seasoned, meat in dough is good to go. But the runs is up there. Let's do that. We could do an off-season ranking of best meat. I'm a big empanada guy. Oh, yeah. I love empanadas. Oh, my God. I love empanadas. (laughs) Best meat in dough. Because there's probably 30 options. Meat in dough? Oh, easily. Oh, way more probably. So, I mean, it's, you know. Anyway where's the egg roll compared to the empanada compared to the runza. I mean, this is, it'll only be our most popular podcast. It's one of those things you've experienced this. And this happens to me all the time. It's like, oh, I'm a sports writer. It's like, what do people really like it when you write or talk about uh, fast food? That's their favorite (laughs) thing. That you want to get reaction from people start talking about fast food. So uh, credit to the runza. I hope Bo Nix on his way to Oregon got a runza. But even if he had three runzas, I don't think it's worth the drive. If he gets there and Dan Lenning's like, ah, yeah, we're going with Ty Thompson, <laughs> right? Like Bo Nix would be disappointed regardless of his runs of consumption.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that it'll be a little bit of a of a culture shock. You know, if you just move from Auburn, Alabama to Eugene, Oregon, just like for the environment, I, I assume that you probably want to uh, <laughs> to play some football out there too if you're Bo Nix. But I do think that he's going to have an opportunity to, to be successful in this offense. It felt like by the end of his tenure at Auburn, there was just so much pressure on him. It, you know, it was like he was uh, kind of heralded as this like savior of Auburn football. He was going to be like Cam Newton almost. And and then he made it worse by uh, by going and playing Oregon in his first game and beating Justin Herbert. And then like the legend was already set and nothing that he could do was really ever going to be good enough anymore. And then you change coaching staffs and – it's, it was just a mess, right? It was a mess in a lot of ways. So I do like this for Bo Nix from the perspective of, I think he's going to be asked to do things that he's able to do, <laughs> you know, and, and that's such a simple thing for a quarterback. But I do think that, uh, you know, Kenny Dillingham was the offensive coordinator at, or, or maybe it was quarterbacks coach at Auburn back when Gus Malzahn was there before moving on to Florida State and now to Oregon. And that was the year that Bo Nix arguably had his most effective season I mean he got a little more efficient later in his career but I think that in a lot of ways his freshman year was very effective now I think having a, a coach who has some familiarity with you who maybe knows what you can do and can't do a little better it's a good situation for him but but Ty Thompson is very much going to be part of that battle
0: but you think Bo Nix will win Ty Thompson is a borderline five-star but if you think Bo Nix will win
1: I, I do I mean Hey, I I mean, I know it's been a few years at this point, but Bo Nix was a five-star, right? Uh, So, I mean, the talent has never been in question. It's been all the other stuff. Yeah, Bo Nix coming out of school, number 33 player in his class, number one dual-threat quarterback, uh, and it was only the class of 2019. It feels like it was a long time ago, but wasn't that long ago. It's amazing. My my, my little
0: story about Bo Nix is – When Freddie Kitchens got hired as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, I went to Alabama, where Freddie Kitchens is from, and did this big story on him. And he's from this little uh, small town, Edole High School. And the big thing that happened was that Freddie Kitchens, when he was a freshman and a sophomore in high school, he had to play receiver because they had a better starting quarterback than him who was older than him. And it was Patrick Nix who was Bo Nix's dad. And then when Patrick Nix left, then Freddie Kitchens got to be the quarterback. And then this Etowah high school, little high school, there was an Auburn, Alabama game where the starting quarterbacks were Patrick (laughs) Nix for Auburn and Freddie Kitchens for Alabama. And they were from the same high school in this tiny little town. And they still have pictures on the wall in the football meeting room there of, hey, here are our two quarterbacks like shaking hands after the the Auburn Alabama game, which is just like, what an unbelievable thing. And then here comes Bo Nix.
1: Yeah. And uh, I, I've, you know, talking and hearing from some people in, around, in and around the Auburn program. I mean, Bo Nix, like you mentioned, son of a former Auburn quarterback, also literally named after Bo Jackson. When that dude's leaving your program and you're the university and your Auburn university, that's a, that's a thing. That's a thing to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Uh okay, that was good. That was good. Oregon runs uh Auburn Bo Jackson talk.
1: Yeah, I, I'd love to know what uh what Eugene Oregon has in the market of uh of meat-filled dough.
0: Yeah, if you, anybody who's in Oregon right now, please send us your meat-filled dough. You can send us what it's called, our photo of it, or you can just mail us the actual meat-filled dough and we will consume
1: it. Yeah, Doug will give his address on the on the show. Yeah,
0: right. Just stick around till the end. Again, I think that's, that might be our best bet for listeners to get them to get through the whole podcast coming up in the final 30 seconds of this podcast, personal information. I'll give you like my, my W-2 form code for my taxes <laughs> next. I'm the college for okay, I'm going to go. I don't know what the connection is. I give up. We got through seven. I don't know if I can do any more. I want to talk about Anthony Richardson. I can't help it. So I'll, my connection will be another first year coach much like Dan Lanning, who has a quarterback battle on his hands, is our guy Billy Napier. We've got to talk about Billy Napier. Every podcast we talk about Texas A&M, we talk about Billy Napier. Billy Napier, first-year coach, coming from Louisiana, going to Florida. Anthony Richardson was like everybody's favorite highlight last year. He had knee surgery at the end of the year, and it's like, oh, by the way, Emory Jones actually played almost the whole year. Emory Jones, 19 touchdowns. 13 interceptions, threw for more than 2,700 yards, ran for almost 800 yards. But Anthony Richardson remains Anthony Richardson. So it's the same battle that took place last year. It's just somebody different running it. Anthony Richardson, 6'4, 237. You watch the guy and you think, is this Josh Allen? Is this Josh Allen? Emory Jones, 6'2, 201. I think we'll find out a little something about Billy Napier because Emory Jones is pretty talented in his own way. Inconsistent, but talented. Anthony Richardson, also inconsistent, but maybe even more talented. So I think neither of them are locked in sure things all the time. I think Anthony Richardson's ceiling and floor are both bigger than Emory Jones's. So Emory Jones is more of a sure thing than Anthony Richardson compared to Anthony Richardson. What will Billy Napier do? How will Billy Napier evaluate this? And then you throw in Jack Miller, who is a transfer from Ohio State, who is a pretty highly rated guy out of Arizona. I don't think he factors into this with as much experience as Richardson and Jones have. But it's interesting to me, Shahan, to watch the the team, the players, the teammates know these two guys. These two guys know each other, but the coaching staff is new to them. And I'll be curious to see which way Billy Napier goes. And by the way, Florida has started spring practice, and Anthony Richardson, who had knee surgery before their bowl game and couldn't play in the bowl game, is out there. Some people weren't sure if he'd be full go. He's full go. So that's a really good sign, and now they've got to figure it out. It's hard not to be intrigued by Anthony Richardson, though. I think most college football fans agree with that.
1: It's interesting because, uh you know, I do think that in these two players, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, like you've got kind of the guy who's just a little bit more solid, a little bit more consistent. And then you've got just like this explosion, right? Like you've you've just got like a grenade that you can throw into the game at any point. But something that we heard from Dan Mullen last year was basically that, hey, maybe you can't contain this grenade. Maybe, you know, he can't do some of the basic things that you need a quarterback to be able to do in the system that he was trying to run. And, you know, so I'm curious now because uh, the funny thing about Billy Napier is that he's going from a situation where he had an experienced, consistent, solid, somewhat limited left-handed quarterback in Levi Lewis and I think that you have that guy in Emery Jones, you know, somebody who's been around the block and uh, and kind of checks all those boxes and I think would actually fit really well uh within that kind of system. But the question is, I mean, is Anthony Richardson ready? I don't even think it's about talent. It's, it's about <clears throat> it's about, you know is he seeing the field the way that he needs to see it? Is he making the reads? Is he making the right decisions? Is he following directions in some ways? Because that's the main reason that Anthony Richardson was not starting for Florida last year more than his physical gifts or anything like that. It is funny because... Emory Jones was a much higher rated player. He was uh, the yeah. number five dual threat quarterback in his class. Whereas I think that that evaluators probably looked at Anthony Richardson as he has a lot of talent, he's physically gifted, but whoa, you just don't know what to expect. He's not making throws consistently. Because for all the excitement and all that, I mean, he <laughs> completed 59% of his passes, six touchdowns, five interceptions. So you see that inconsistency on full display in a lot of ways. So I feel like... I feel like Billy Napier's going to want to lean on consistency to start his career at least and maybe try to bring Anthony Richardson along slowly. But at the same time, handling that battle wrong kind of doomed Dan Mullen in a lot of ways. So we'll have to kind of see. I, I think that... I think that Billy Napier knows that he's in no rush, that he doesn't have to like come in and save his job right away, that he's going to have some patience, that he's going to have some time. And I think that he'd rather Anthony Richardson learn how to do things correctly than just throw him in and kind of be like, well, let's see what happens. And I do think the circumstance changes. Dan Mullen, I don't know that Dan Mullen
0: thought he was coaching for his job through the course of last year. There's
1: no reason he should (laughs) have until it was over.
0: But Billy Napier clearly has all kinds of runway here. Again, how first-year coaches handle some of this stuff is interesting to me, but it's just so new. I'm reading this quote. I'm sure Billy Napier said this to the group of Florida reporters. I'm reading it off GatorSports.com. This is from the first day of spring practice. Today, to be honest with you, is the first time I've seen him throw the ball live, talking about Anthony Richardson. We didn't get a chance to see him throw it in ball practice because he was injured. It certainly comes out of his hand really well. It's like, hey, Billy Napier, how are you evaluating your quarterback file? He's like, well, I've never seen him throw before. So I am new to this. Yeah. You know, that's that's the reality of this. But it's it's you're just intrigued by that guy because you feel like, man, if that comes together, that's what a lot of modern successful quarterbacks look like, right? They've got traits, they've got size, they've got speed, they've got explosion. And if you just add enough consistency to it, man, you got a chance to hit there. So I'll be curious to see how that goes. And, and this might be one of those. I don't know if this applies, how many battles this applies to, Shahan. We were saying a lot of these battles, they're not going to be decided in the spring. This might be one where one of these two guys gets an inkling in transfers. And I don't like to talk about possible transfers with guys. These are their careers. These are their lives. They get one shot at this. But th- this is like Joe Burrow at Ohio State. Sometimes the spring battle is – you got to let me know. Like I'm sort of demanding some kind of answer because I'm going to go. And if you're the, I think coaches do owe that to their guys to be honest with them. They don't have to name a starter, but I think an honest evaluation, you can only go so far in trying to keep both guys on the hook and keep them both in the program at all costs. I'm not sure Billy Napier would want to start his program that way. I think he needs to give Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson honest evaluations at the end of spring football. And maybe the guy who doesn't feel like he's leading decides to go. So that's why I'm particularly interested in this, because I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in either one of those two guys if they would decide to go. I think we have not taken our second break yet, so we'll do that now. Here in the College Football Survivor Show, the Big Wednesday pod, it's free for everybody. Get subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Two more teams next after this. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan. Your last team, I fear, it is also my last team, and and I also had Notre Dame on my list, so I prepped six, so I only have one left.
1: Do you want to go first? I've got uh, I've got like four left.
0: But I, but I, but I, it's Quinn, though. What about Quinn? Don't we, we have to talk about Quinn? Did, were you going to talk about Quinn or is it going to, were you not going to do it? I that? was
1: waiting for you to see. I thought that you were going to, I, I thought that I set it up really well when I, when I did the Kate Club Nick talk. I'm like, you just follow that Texas high school football thread. They were rivals in high school, all that. You just follow it down to Austin, Texas. But, uh, yeah, but you know, I, I, I tried to lay groundwork, but you know, it's fine. So, so let's talk about Quinn. All right. So it's Quinn viewers at Texas. He should be the number one recruit in the
0: class of 2022, but he reclassified one in the class of class of 21. So he was the first guy there. He went to Ohio state. It was basically like he transferred to Columbus high school for a year and then got out of there and went to Texas. He's competing with Hudson card who actually won again, Hudson card. What's up with you? It's like, I have won a quarterback battle for Steve Sarkeesian at the university of Texas before, but after I won it last year, I lost my job by week three. So, how do you read that? I don't know. I probably read it as I think Quinn Ewers, second year college football player, but really kind of first. First year Texas Longhorn, listed at 6'2205, Hudson Card listed at 6'2200. They start on March 22nd, so this battle has not yet begun. I think Quinn Ewers is going to take this job. But it really would be quite a story if he doesn't. But people are going to be – how big is this in the state of Texas for Quinn Ewers? Grew up with Texas as his dream school, left the st- – was committed to Texas, decommitted, went to Ohio State. Now he's back. Sark in year two. Texas is desperate to get it going. It feels like it starts with Quinn Ewers. Are there going to be spotlights on this battle all spring shot?
1: I mean, if Quinn Ewers doesn't win this quarterback job, then they're going to fold the program. I mean, they saw Hudson Card and they did not like what they saw. And you've got this generational type quarterback, the first perfectly rated quarterback recruit since Vince Young, not just at Texas, but in college football. I mean, if 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 he's not ready for prime time, then I don't know what we're doing here, right? Like, I don't know then what Steve Sarkeesian sells because – in a lot of ways, you know, we talked about a couple years ago a lot in the state of Texas that when Quinn Ewers decommitted from the University of Texas and flipped to Ohio State, that was the end of the Tom Herman era. It was over at that point. You no longer had any faith to sell. Well, now I think that they're kind of making a similar gamble with Steve Sarkeesian. I'm not saying he's going to get fired this year, but uh, you know, at the same time, like he bought himself a brand new life by adding Quinn Ewers. And that's why there was, you know, I I don't want to get into the rumor mill or anything like that, but that's why there was all this talk about the amount of NIL money that maybe they were raising for him and, and the amount that they were pushing to try to get him. Because this is not just a good player who they're bringing in as a transfer. This is a fresh slate. And if he comes in and doesn't win the quarterback job and Hudson Card is deemed to be better then that fresh slate is gone. Then <laughs> you all of a sudden don't get to talk about that. And so that's why I think it's, I mean, he's he's going to <laughs> win the job. He's going to win the job. He's going to come in. He's going to have a chance. I don't know if there was a quarterback battle that was treated any weirder last year than at the University of Texas. Because usually you see the the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence thing go the other way, right? Like you see the the older guy kind of get leaned on for his experience. And then if he struggles, then you put in the young guy. I've never really seen the young guy get thrown in, and then after two games, basically them say, "Oh nope, never mind. We're gonna put put in the old guy." You know, it's just such a weird thing from a confidence perspective. And I think it was clear from both Casey Thompson and Hudson Card that you know we talked about with Dobbs, when he having the trust of his quarterbacks, having the trust of his players, it did not feel like that was the case at Texas last year with these quarterbacks. It felt like they were on edge. It felt like they were nervous. It felt like they played nervous in a lot of ways. And, you know, I I think that Steve Sarkeesian has to do better from that perspective in 2022 because you can't waste this position. That's kind of your whole deal is that you came in to develop quarterbacks, which is something that Texas hasn't done consistently in a very long time, and to put together great offenses. And if you can't do that, I know it's only year two, but you're Steve Sarkeesian and this is the University of Texas. I think he's in trouble.
0: Yeah, and I like I don't know that you have a choice, right? That like this, like it's it's. I mean, what if Quinn Ewers doesn't look like the best quarterback? I don't I don't know if it matters. I think you you have to do it anyway, right? So I think that's reality there. Uh, but it will be a battle. But it's interesting because of what's on Quinn Ewers, not maybe because it's going to be. um you know the 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 one that has the most intrigue, but it is going to be the one that has maybe the most attention. So that's why I was eager to talk about.
1: That. And, and I will say, so uh, so I just filled out um, every year for Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. They do a writers poll where they ask questions about the state of Texas. So I just filled mine out, and one of the questions was, if you could pay to go to one game this year in the state of Texas, which one would it be? Or if you had to pay to go to to one game in the state of Texas, year, what should it be? And my answer is week two. You know who Texas plays?
0: Nick Saban.
1: It's going to be Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian versus Nick Saban and Heisman winner Bryce Young and Will Anderson, by the way, who's going to make life hell. So if that is awful, (laughs) if that is really bad, oh boy, they're in trouble. They, they don't have to win, right? But, like, I look back to that 2019 Texas versus LSU game where Sam Ellinger had this great game where Joe Burrow is kind of his coming out party in some ways. But, like, the game was close. The game was competitive. It was exciting. That's what you need. You have to be competitive. It cannot be a total evisceration or you will never hear the end of it.
0: And it's, yeah, it's not that Quinn Ewers has to outplay Bryce Young. It's that Quinn Ewers has to make sure that Will Anderson doesn't rip his arms off. So that is, that is, uh but yeah, be competitive, hang around, hang around, make some plays for both Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers. That's a big one. All right. We could go from Texas to let's head right over to Nebraska where Casey Thompson has transferred and is competing with former Florida state quarterback Chubba Purdy, but I don't think that's where we're going.
1: No, no, uh, I, I have no, uh, I have no real connection here. I don't, uh, I, at one point he was rumored for the job, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we're gonna go over to James Franklin at Penn State to close things out. And, uh, they got an interesting situation here because I think that they've got kind of the, the old guy with the young guy coming up. And, and that's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more of a typical type role. Sean Clifford is back. Uh, when he played and was healthy last year, he looked pretty dang solid. I, I think that when you look at this team kind of falling apart down the, straight, the stretch to only finish seven and five, it was when he did suffer injuries. It was when he wasn't himself. That's when Penn State looked its worst. But what makes things interesting is that Sean Clifford is respectable and, and did everything that he was supposed to do right. And now they got a kid coming in also from Ohio, Drew Aller, who's going to have a chance to be a great quarterback he's gonna have a chance to come in and and lead Penn State in a way that nobody kind of has in a little while I mean he's easily the the most hyped quarterback recruit to come to Penn State since Christian Hackenberg you'd probably say and obviously he's not gonna deal with the the same issues that Christian Hackenberg did as a uh, as a college quarterback with all, all the stuff that went on over there at Penn State and so You know, this has been the 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 rub on James Franklin is that he can't seem to put together that top level quarterback at Penn State. But I think that now he's got one coming in who maybe is already ready for primetime, right? Who maybe already has the physical tools, who doesn't need to be developed all that much. Now, I don't think that he's going to start. I think Sean Clifford is still going to start the year. But having Drew Aller to lean on, I think is going to be a huge deal, not just in terms of what he can do as a player, but I think it also lets you be a little bit more versatile with Sean Clifford, too. It, it doesn't force you to maybe keep him in the pocket because you have no options behind him. Because when Sean Clifford's been at his best, I think you've run him around a lot. So it's less that I think that this is a battle for who's going to start, and it's more going to be how much can you get Drew Aller up to speed so that by the time you head into the season, are you ready as Penn State to be able to, to have him be ready, you know, whether you want to throw him in at some point in the season or if Sean Clifford gets hurt. This is the first Big Ten team that we're talking about. Uh, we did four SEC,
0: two ACC plus an ACC adjacent Notre Dame for three. One Pac-12, one Big 12. This is the first Big Ten team. I think Peyton Thorne's locked in at Michigan State. CJ Stroud's locked in at Ohio State. I think Graham Mertz wasn't great last year, but is probably locked in at Wisconsin. You know, sort of the best teams in the Big Ten that matter, are pretty locked in. And I didn't have Penn State on my list. This is what I was referencing earlier. I don't know that James Franklin will pull the trigger on this. And they were five and zero last year and beating number two Iowa. And Sean Clifford got hurt and their season fell apart. And they finished two and six in their last eight games, including their bowl game. And Penn State's issue last year was they had no backup quarterback. Once Sean Clifford got hurt, they had nobody. So that's going to be solved. They have a couple other guys I think they'd like who are more ready in addition to Drew Rattler. I do think Drew Rattler will be the number two. But I have doubts about whether James Franklin will pull the trigger the way we're talking about, hey, if it looks like Cade Club next to the guy, sorry, sorry, DJ Uyunglele. Sean Clifford you know was competent and I think it's a lot like Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy at Michigan last year and we also aren't not are not talking about them because JJ McCarthy Cade McNamara winds up starting JJ McCarthy's the wrinkle quarterback all year Cade McNamara's back as a redshirt junior this year Cade McCarthy's out for the spring with a tired arm he's not going to throw for a couple months so there is no battle at Michigan this spring when maybe we thought there would be talking about returning playoff quarterbacks who maybe don't keep their starting jobs. If JJ McCarthy was in the mix this April, March and April, I think we would be talking about him, but we're not. Whether that's a battle in August, I don't know. But clearly Jim Harbaugh showed us last year. He was willing to play JJ McCarthy, but we talked in this pot a lot. They're building something. They're building something. They weren't. They were just wrink- they're using a wrinkle. That's all. So I don't know if James Franklin will do it. Now, he has a contract extension. There's always stuff with James Franklin. He doesn't have – they had two weird years. They had a weird COVID year, bad COVID year. Like they lost their first five and won their last four, I think. Last year, they start 5-0. and oh, They finish 7-6. and six. He's not on the hot seat. He got his contract extension. So then I don't know where he goes. Do you stick with the veteran guy even if the talent's not as great and try to say, hey, we can win nine or ten games with this guy and we'll get Drew Allard ready for 2023? Or do you roll the dice and say, hey, Drew Rowler, go try to beat Ohio State right now? I don't know. My guess is James Franklin slow plays Drew Rowler. And so I have questions. Again, they haven't started practice yet. I have questions about how much of a battle this actually might be.
1: I think for me, though, it's that – If Drew Aller's ready, it gives you flexibility. I I think it means that you don't have to play a hurt Sean Clifford, which they clearly did at points last season. You can put him in as sort of that wrinkle quarterback like you mentioned. I I just think it lets you manage your position. It lets you manage your play calling in a completely different way. And the other thing that I'll mention too is that I think that that with Mike Yuricich back, I mean, Drew Aller, I think, really fits what Mike Yersich is going to want in a quarterback, right? He's a downfield passer, whereas Sean Clifford is a little bit more of a shallow passer. I, I just think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that they could use Drew Aller. And the other part of this, too, is that Sean Clifford is always hurt. He's always hurt because he does put his body on the line so much. And this at least gives you a little bit more flexibility if that were to happen. So I don't even know if it's going to be a decision necessarily that James Franklin has to make. I think it's just more that it's probably going to happen at some point and we'll see how Drew Aller takes advantage of the situation.
0: So I just want to wrap up. Those are our 10 quarterback battles we talked about. We didn't get to all of battles in the country I'm just fascinated. Again, I'm looking at the 247 composite ratings for the top quarterbacks in the class of 2021. Number one, Quinn Ewers. He's in a battle at Texas. Number two, Caleb Williams. He's going to be the starting quarterback at USC. Number three, Sam Heward. He's in a battle that we could have talked about at Washington. Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana, among the other guys competing there. That's interesting. Number four, Brock Vandegrift. We talked about him at Georgia. Number five, JJ McCarthy. We mentioned him at Michigan. Number six is Kyle McCord. He's behind C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. There's not a battle there, but at the moment, Kyle McCord is in line to be Ohio State's starting quarterback in 2023. Ty Thompson, number seven, in a battle at Oregon. Number eight is Jake Garcia. I don't think he's going to beat out Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, but I guess you can find some headlines that say quarterback battle there. I'm not so sure about that, but he's in the mix. Number nine is Drake May at North Carolina we talked about. Number 10 is Jackson Dart. Who probably will be the starter at Ole Miss, right after transferring for USC? Is that what we expect?
1: Yeah, uh, but he will be in a, in an open competition with Luke Altmaier uh, out there. And then eleven is Tyler Buchner, so that's eleven
0: dudes, the top eleven quarterbacks from two years ago, who are all right there, all ready to go. And how many of them will do it again? A year. These are second year quarterbacks. A year ago, a second year quarterback won the Heisman. So I'm not saying your Heisman winner's on that list, buddy. might be, and his name might be Quinn. You, I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> I didn't realize that they gave Heismans to uh, to teams that went eight and four. That's crazy.
0: Eight and four. <laughs> Sark will take that right now. <laughs> can, can Sark, can you lock that down? Can you promise that for him in we're, year one of Quinn Ewers? Eight and four and within three scores of Bama, and Sark will take that to <laughs> the bank.
1: <laughs> just, just win the Texas Bowl, man. Get to nine and four, and you could feel real good. Actually, no. What it's going to be is it's going to be like a weird nine and uh, nine and three, and then like you just get a favorable bowl matchup, and then you brag about winning ten games. That's inevitable. And then they're going to be preseason number two heading into twenty twenty
0: three. I like. We'll play this clip <laughs> a year from now when all of those things come true. <laughs> all right. Thanks, to you guys, for making the College Football Survivor Show part of your week. Read Shahanjay at CBF Sports. Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.